from D. James Kennedy Ministries. This is Kennedy Classics. Hello, I'm Frank Wright, president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Welcome to Kennedy Classics. We have been looking at the Protestant Reformation this month as we celebrate its 500th anniversary. And the next issue of our monthly impact newsletter looks at the 10 ways the Reformation helped give birth to America. We would like to extend to you a free three-month subscription to that newsletter, beginning with this fascinating issue. To begin your free three-month impact subscription, just call us toll-free at 888-332-3069. Once again, that's 888-332-3069. Remember the Alamo. I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. It was, of course, coined after the famous Battle of the Alamo, the historic battle where 200 Texan rebels were barricaded inside the Alamo mission, surrounded by over 1,800 Mexican soldiers. The outnumbered fought courageously, but were ultimately defeated by the Mexican army. It was the battle cry of, remember the Alamo, that later spurred on the rebel forces led by Sam Houston to win Texas its independence. Just as the Texan rebels had their battle cry of remembrance, so too should Christians have one. We should remember the Reformation with its battle cries, if you will, of sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, solus Christus, and soli deo gloria. This battle cry should spur us on as well to continue the fight for biblical faith, the same fight Martin Luther began 500 years ago this month. Here now is Dr. D. James Kennedy with his message, Luther's Quest for God. Our scripture lesson this morning is found in the first chapter of Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 1 beginning with the eighth verse. May we hear God's word. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request If by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you, for I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end, ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, 
that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And may God speak to our hearts and minds this day through this his holy word, and may his name evermore be praised. Amen. October 31st is... October 31st is Reformation Day, as you all knew. And, of course, the central figure in that great upheaval was the controversial monk Martin Luther, who was born November 10, 1483. His father was a woodcutter who saved his money all of his life to send his son to law school. He had a brilliant record in college and was going to make a fine lawyer, his father felt. One day he came home to visit the family home, and then with a friend he started out on his trek across the countryside back to the city and to the university. But a storm gathered around him and the clouds darkened, and as they reached the crest of a hill, suddenly there was a tremendous crash and lightning struck right at the feet of Luther, instantly killing his friend and throwing Luther on his face in the mud. Luther turned and looked heavenward, and his smitten conscience could see the specter of death and horror and judgment and condemnation in hell. And he cried out in his terror, Help, St. Anna, and I'll enter a monastery. Perhaps he could make a deal, cut a deal with God. So he called on the mother of Mary to help him in this moment of his absolute terror and dread. And so, as Martin Luther entered the Augustinian monastery and the doors clanged shut behind him, Martin was dead to the world. He cared not one whit for anything that transpired on this planet. There was only one single solitary concern that absorbed his every waking moment and thought and all of his energy, and that was the salvation of his own soul. How he, a sinful man, could ever be right to stand in the presence of an infinitely holy God who was a consuming fire. And he gave himself completely to the task. He would pray three hours every day. He confessed his sins hour upon end to the confessors who finally hated to see him come. He would flagellate himself with a whip until he would be found unconscious in a pool of blood in the morning by his fellow monks. He fasted day after day after day. One time he prayed for six weeks without eating 
and only every three or four days sleeping for an hour or two. He would stay out all night long naked in the deep German snow, trying to purify his soul, trying to make himself acceptable in the sight of a God who knows no sin. And it was all, oh, it was all in vain. Do you hear me, you pitiful, poor imitation of Luther? You who think that you are by your poor, faint, pitiful works going to earn your way into heaven? Take a lesson from a man who really made a go at it. At the end of it all, he said, sometimes I think I hate God. <gasps> Before you judge him too harshly, may I suggest, one, you stay out all night naked in deep snow. Two, you pray for six weeks unending without eating to get right with God and having then found no peace, no peace in your troubled soul, then pronounce your condemnation on poor monk Martin. His monastery then sent him to the city of Rome as an emissary. Luther's heart leaped at the prospects, and when he saw on the horizon the picture of the holy city of Rome, he was thrilled with expectation. He ran, he said, like a mad pilgrim from one church to another, from one shrine to another, from one mass to another. But he noticed that while he was saying one mass, his fellow priests were saying four or five. In fact, they said to him, presto, presto, faster, faster. But Luther was undaunted. He made his way to the Scala Sancta in the Lateran Church. There these huge stairs had been brought from Jerusalem, which led up to the throne room of Pontius Pilate. There Jesus Christ had stood, scourged, flogged, almost stripped of his very skin by the Romans and clothed now in a purple robe of blood. He stood dripping his blood on those stairs as he was turned over to the mob to be crucified. Those stairs, with those stains of blood now covered with glass, were now found in Rome. I have seen them, so have some of you. They are still there. Luther began to climb those stairs on his knees, saying his rosary on each step and kissing the stair. He made his way halfway up this long flight of stair, marble stairs. And then that word that he had first seen in the epistle to the Romans, that word that was read today from the scripture, that word which is inscribed on the front of this pulpit, that word which became, as Luther said, the very gate to paradise, that word which is the birth text of the Protestant church, that word God began to speak to him again. He had come across it with complete bewilderment. The just shall live by faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith, found in the Old Testament, found again in the New Testament three different times. He was completely mystified by it. What did it mean? The just shall live by faith. He couldn't understand it. But he continued his way up those stairs on his knees, and God began to speak to him with that word again. At first, it was pianissimo. Dear Martin, the just 
shall live by faith. And then it became forte. The just shall live by faith. And then it resounded, it seemed, throughout all of the room, the church, and the whole world. The just shall live by faith. Suddenly Luther's eyes were open. He leaped to his feet and suddenly he saw. He saw the gospel. He saw the truth. He saw the grace of God. He saw that it was by faith that a man was justified and that those who were justified by faith in the blood of Christ are those who would live and those who seek to justify themselves in any other way shall not live. He ran down the stairs and made his way back to Wittenberg. And there he began, began to proclaim that good news. Righteousness is a gift from God wrought by Christ, received by faith. Take heart, good friend. God is gracious and merciful as well as just and holy. But soon these words, which now spread all over Germany and all over Europe by the newly invented printing press, met with some who did not take to them too kindly. Others who declared that they were heresy, indeed the very same heresy that that heretic John Huss had proclaimed a hundred years ago, the same heresy proclaimed by Wycliffe in England as well. Luther went to debate the great von Eck, and in that debate this incredibly learned man, von Eck, was totally bested by Luther, who used the scripture as a sword which could not be broken. But then Luther was called to account for himself to the Diet at Worms. His friends told him, do not go. Remember John Huss. A hundred years before, the Bohemian professor and preacher John Huss had proclaimed the same doctrine. He had been invited to the Council of Constance to discuss his teachings and to debate the points at issue. He was granted safe passage. And so he made his way to that council. When he got there, he was asked one question, will you recant? No opportunity for debate, no discussion, simply recant or burn. And Huss would not recant and they took him out singing a hymn of faith. They tied him to a stake and they gathered the faggots around him and lighted them and John Huss went up in smoke. Remember John Huss, they told him. Do not go to Worms. You will be killed. Luther said, though the devils be as thick as the tiles upon the roof, I will go to Worms. And so in a cart, he made his way across the country to the imperial city of Worms. And there, thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of people having heard of this most spectacular event that Monk Martin, the hero of Germany, was going to meet with King Charles V, the ruler of the Holy Roman Empire. And he was ushered into this gigantic hall where already 5,000 people had been gathered. And there, at the end of the hall, on a great throne chair, sat the young, newly crowned King Charles V, Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Beside him, there was von Eck and Alexander, the legates of Rome. There were the electors of the German 
various German republics. There were also kings and knights and barons. There were archbishops and cardinals and bishops and legates of every kind. Finally, Luther was led out in his humble monk's apparel. And there in the center of the room, there was a long table on which were spread out some 20 different books. In von Eck, once bested in debate, now would hear no more. And he was warned, Luther was, not to speak unless he was questioned. And he was asked this question, one, are these your books? Luther looked them over and said, yes, these are my books. Two, will you recant? Huss, all over again, thought Luther. No opportunity for debate, no opportunity for discussion. Luther's knees grew weak. His face became pale. And finally, he said in a very soft and weak voice, since the issue at stake here is the eternal salvation of human souls, I request some time to consider the matter. They began to jeer. The Spaniards began to hiss, and they followed him with their hisses as he was led out of the room. But Luther prayed all that night, and the next morning he was once more led back into that great assembly hall. Once more, the thousands were gathered inside and tens of thousands outside. Once more, he was brought to the center table. And again, he was asked by Eck, will you recant? And Luther, now strengthened by the Spirit of God, said, as you can see, some of these books are on subjects such as the Lord's Prayer, which are held in common by all and some on issues with which there is no controversy. And Eck would hear no more of this. He grew impatient and said, we will have an answer without horns. Tell us roundly and frankly, will you or will you not recant? The moment of crisis had come. The entire future of religious liberty now stood in the garment of one poor monk. Luther, his conscience saturated with the word of God, both in German and in Latin, uttered those words which have so impressed themselves upon the minds of men. He said, unless, unless I am refuted and convicted by the testimonies of Holy Scripture or by clear arguments, since I believe neither Pope nor councils alone, it being evident that they have both heard and contradicted themselves. I am conquered by the Holy Scripture quoted by me, and my will is bound by the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. Uproar! Pandemonium, the people cried out, heretic, heretic, burn him, burn him. 
X said, you cannot prove it. Luther vowed that he would if given a chance. But finally, X's voice was heard again. He said, will you recant? Luther said those words that have most clearly etched themselves in the conscience of Christians through the centuries. He said, here I stand. And the flames around the stake appeared before his eyes. But he said, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. He was given 20 days by the emperor to recant or to be burned. But as you know, he was kidnapped by his friends and he was taken to the Wartburg Castle, and there he translated the scriptures into German, which transformed not only the religion, but the letters and literature and language of that people. And the word of the gospel continued to go out until it spread all the way around the world. My friends, the truth and the struggle that were Luther's are the only hope that we have. Everyone in this room struggles with the same question. How shall a sinful man stand in the presence of a holy God? And despite all of the naysaying of modernity, God is still holy and sin is still sin. And the judgment hastens on apace. We will all stand, not before the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, but before the Lord God Almighty who sees into every heart and knows every thought and every word and every deed. And we shall indeed struggle then, if not now, with this question. How shall a sinful man, said Job, stand in the presence of a holy God? He will stand, said Luther, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone, faultless to stand before the throne. This, dear friend, is still today our great hope and our joy. I hope that it is yours. May we pray. Father, for those who do not know themselves to have been justified, for those who do not know that they have been made right with God, who do not know that they are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, may they say unto him right now, Lord Jesus Christ, I am thy sin, and thou art my righteousness. In thy name, amen. Martin Luther was trying to earn his way to heaven when he came upon Romans chapter 1, verse 17, which says, The just shall live by faith. It was then that he realized that he was totally dependent upon Jesus Christ. 
and he stopped his striving to be good enough to get into heaven and placed his trust firmly and only in Jesus Christ for his salvation. Do you have that assurance that you'll be with God in heaven someday? If not, pray with me this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and today I place my trust in you. Please forgive me of my sins and cleanse me and make me brand new. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. In your name I pray, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, we want to send you Beginning Again, which is precisely what you're doing. Inside, you'll find helpful tools, including the book of John from the New Testament. I recommend you read a chapter a day, which will help you begin to grow in your new faith. To receive your copy of Beginning Again, just write to our address or call our toll-free number. God bless you as you do. As Dr. Kennedy shared, Martin Luther translating the scriptures into common German transformed Christianity into what it is today. His translation gave the common person access to the scriptures really for the first time. As a result of Luther's Reformation and the newly invented printing press, the gospel was spread around the world and God's free gift could be accepted by millions. God's Word is paramount to the Christian faith. It has helped build the world we live in, and it continues to transform lives and cultures daily. Dr. D. James Kennedy was passionate for proclaiming the power of the Bible, and that's why he wrote the book, What If the Bible Had Never Been Written, along with Dr. Jerry Newcomb. We'd like to send you that hardcover book today as our thanks for your generous donation to the ongoing work of this ministry. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339, or call toll-free 888-332-3069, or you can go online to djkm.org. This hardcover book shows that the Bible is the inspiration for almost all of the great explorers, scientists, writers, artists, politicians, and educators the world has ever known. And if you are able to give a donation of $75 or more, we will also send you Dr. Kennedy's magnum opus, the leather-bound D. James Kennedy Topical Study Bible. Never before has a study Bible like this been produced, featuring the modern English version of the biblical text, which is directly based upon the King James manuscripts, and containing the most wide-ranging collection of Dr. Kennedy's wealth of wisdom available in any one volume. It has hundreds of articles answering questions like, does the Bible teach socialism? Do Christians, Muslims, and Jews worship the same God? Does the Bible speak to the question of gender identity? And much, much more. We'll send you the leather-bound D. James Kennedy Topical Study Bible, plus the hardcover book, What If the Bible Had Never Been Written, as our thanks for your generous donation of $75 or more. Or you can get just the hardcover book for a generous donation. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 
332-3069. Or you can go online to djkm.org. I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Kennedy Classics. We'll see you next time. Today's program is available on DVD or audio CD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. Please call, write, or log on to our website today. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.